0: We carry on in our consideration of chapter 1, getting an introduction to it last week. We pick up with verse 4 and we'll, for our reading this evening, consider verses 4 through 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. nor the ear filled with hearing. And that's the reading of God's word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it now. Father, we pray that as we come to these, your words, that you'd give us understanding. Lord, that you'd give us a perspective that honors you and that glorifies you and that glorifies your son the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Very recently I was looking back over some genealogical documents that I have. There's uh, a family member um, quite some time ago compiled some information about our family background and, and the copies were distributed among family and actually when our older son was visiting a few weeks ago Uh, He expressed interest in seeing it and looked through it and then he asked for a copy of his own. In these roughly 40 pages, there's an account of relatives of mine going back for five generations. And although the lineal descent all the way back to this point, isn't traced in the documents there. It does provide evidence that I probably have ancestors who lived in Virginia since the 1680s. The thing is, if it weren't for those papers, I wouldn't know the names of any of those people. Obviously, I know my father's name. I know my grandfather's name. But I wouldn't even remember or know the name of my great-grandfather if I didn't have this document. Genealogy is a really interesting uh, pursuit for lots of people, but but it points to the fact that we have to dig up this information. A generation goes, a generation comes, and when the generation goes, it tends to be forgotten. And coming generations aren't going to remember you and me any more than we remember a few generations. For us. And yet, they keep going and they keep coming. According to uh, one website of uh, world statistics, roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 people will die on earth today and then another 150,000 or so will die tomorrow and the next day. And yet, the sun keeps rising, the sun keeps setting, the wind keeps blowing, the rivers keep flowing. These verses that we're looking at tonight capture the ongoing incessant going of things. The sun goes. The wind goes. The seas go. And when we use the, uh, the Latin expression ad infinitum, which is what I titled the sermon uh, on the basis of all this, when we use that expression, most of the time when we use it, we're using it to express maybe boredom, like a, a college professor who lectures ad infinitum, and you're just wondering, when will this be over? Or, um, or weariness. In other words, the, the expression isn't something we generally use with a, with a um, positive connotation. We use it to complain about weariness. And that's the sense we might get from this text. I think if we just read it at a surface level... That's what Solomon seems to be conveying. Sun rises, the sun sets. Everything keeps going on and on and on without change. In its cycles, in their cycles. So that's the impression we might get. But as, uh, as one commentator put it, depending on one's perspective or mood, this can be considered either inspiring or depressing. So really, that's the key, isn't it? It's all a matter of perspective. Perspective is the key. And the observations made in these verses that we're looking at together tonight are intended to open us up to a God-honoring perspective on life in this world. Because really, that's what Solomon is examining. He's examining life under the sun. In other words, in this present age, here on planet Earth. And I think we can kind of divide the the emphases of this passage up into three points, which I've done tonight. One has to do with generations coming and going. One has to do with east to west, north to south. And then borrowing from the book of Proverbs, the third thing I think we'll see is uh, a reference to things that never say enough. And so let's consider, first of all, from generation to generation. We sing hymns about this. There are many passages in God's Word that speak to this. The fact that a generation goes and a generation comes, that's what we see in verse 4. But the earth remains forever. If you take the Hebrew in this verse and, and translate it as woodenly and literally as possible, it would say, Generation going, generation coming, but the earth forever standing. It reminded me, well, there are a lot of things in life that uh, kind of reflect this, this phenomenon. I was thinking of um, uh, right across the water from, from where we live is, uh, is a little resort called Paris Island. Uh, Marines, re- recruits go there. And I was thinking about Paris Island in reference to this first because every week almost, most weeks out of the whole year on Paris Island, a new class of Marines will graduate from ba- their basic training and they'll ship off to who knows how many different places to serve in the U.S. Marine Corps. And as they're graduating and celebrating and going off to their next station of duty every week, a new batch of recruits is coming in, and you've got recruits on Paris Island at each of these stages in their, however many weeks long training there is, coming and going, going and coming, and that's been happening on Paris Island, from the best I could tell, uh, for over a hundred years. And I've got to think there are certain landmarks there on Paris Island that have been there most or all of that time. And if those landmarks could talk, they would say, yeah, class of recruits goes, class of recruits comes, but Paris Island just stays the same. Scripture reminds us time and again of generations going and coming. In this psalm that we used for our call to worship both this morning and this evening. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16. You you don't even have to turn there. You can look at it in your bulletin. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. To put it in crass vernacular, here today, gone tomorrow. We have a, uh, a great hymn that speaks of it, the same thing. In fact, we're going to sing it at the close of our service tonight. Trinity hymnal number 30 is based on Psalm 90. Listen to verse 5. The busy tribes of flesh and blood with all their lives and cares are carried downward by your flood and lost in following years. Time, verse 6, like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. So, as Solomon makes this observation in verse 4, it's the first of several obligations, ob- observations that he's making regarding the cyclical nature, the repetitive nature of existence on this earth. And he speaks of a generation being born, rising up, walking the earth, doing all of its exploits, and then each generation eventually dies off and lies down in death. I think as of 2011, there are no longer any known living veterans of World War I. That generation is now completely gone. And yet the earth stands. And I want you to notice the order that's emphasized in verse 4. Because if we were to speak of this to someone, it might come naturally to us to say a generation comes and a generation goes. But that's not the order that's in view in in the text. It says a generation goes and a generation comes. Now, I don't want to make too much of that, but I think it suggests, well, I, I think generations come and generations go almost allows us a little bit of a sense of closure, doesn't it? But when we say a generation goes and a generation comes, it stresses one generation going out the door and a new one rising up and on and on and on. Theodore Beza, who was a a colleague and, and successor to John Calvin in Geneva, likened it to this. He said, The earth is a stage. Persons passing and vanishing before our eyes. I'll make another comparison to, uh, to stage plays in just a moment. But, uh, you know, Beza said the earth is like a stage and all, each of us is sort of like a player on the stage. But, you know, the, the difference is that in, in drama, the actors get to have a curtain call. At the end of the play, they get to come out and take a bow and be seen again. But that doesn't happen in life, does it? We say our lines, we play our part, and then we're never seen again. Again, depending on your perspective, that could be uh, depressing. I'm not sure it needs to be, though. Let's continue on to another set of comparisons that Solomon gives us that brings us to our second point east to west north to south he speaks first of all in verse 5 of the sun and of course you know that at least from perspective here on earth the sun rises in the east it sets in the west and then it does the exact same thing the next day and the day after that and the day after that and when the um when your ESV Bible says that it hastens to the place where it rises, that word hastens has the sense um, not just of hurrying but even of, of gasping and panting, like running hurriedly to get to the start line again to do it all over and this is the, uh, This is the other analogy I wanted to make to a uh, to a stage actor because those of you who have ever been involved in any capacity in some sort of dramatic production. You know, sometimes an actor will have to, at the end of their part in a scene or at the end of a scene, they, they may have to just stroll nonchalantly or slowly off the stage, but then after they've disappeared from the audience's view, it's a mad dash to either change costumes or do something to prepare for the next scene because they have to reappear. And it's a scramble to get ready for it. And that's almost the picture that's being painted here for us with the sun. We see it traverse the sky, it sets, and then I've got to get over to the east so I can rise again tomorrow. And that's the sort of spirit of of this passage as Solomon speaks about the sun. So we've got east to west there. That's the course of the sun. And then when he speaks of the wind, he doesn't use... uh, cardinal directions regarding the sun, but we know what those are. Here in verse uh, 6, speaking about the wind, he makes specific reference to the south and to the north, and the wind blows to the south and then goes around to the north. Around and around it goes. You see that that language is intended to evoke images of, of busyness and almost franticness maybe. Now, the word circuit is used in verse 6 to speak of the the wind. And if you go to Psalm 19, where David, the psalmist, makes an observation about the sun and its course, he uses a similar term. It's a different Hebrew word, but the idea is the same, a circuit, a regular route that's run. And so David in Psalm 19 speaks of the sun in terms of a circuit, and here Solomon speaks of the wind in terms of a circuit. So you have all these circuits. One is east to west, one seems to go north to south, Or at least that's how he's describing it. So we've got all points of the compass covered here. And then he goes on to talk about streams. In verse 7, they run to the sea, all of them. They run to the sea continually. But the sea isn't full. You know, some things it takes a long time to fill up. And I can remember watching certain things fill up over the course of my childhood. And it seems to me that when I was a very small boy, it was tiresome waiting for the bathtub to fill up so I could take my bath. That seemed to take a long time back then. Well, a number of years later, uh, I was on a swim team where my father was stationed with the Air Force at that time. And there was this Olympic swimming pool, a full 50 meter Olympic pool with a diving well. It's a massive pool, eight lanes, and then the diving well, ten feet deep. And on at least one occasion, I remember them having to drain the entire thing and refill it. That's a big pool. And then, I remember going to visit my grandmother, who lived in Illinois, and we went to the Illinois River, and near Starved Rock, we saw the locks on the river, you know, where they a barge or something can go into a lock, the lock closes and they will will fill the lock or lower the lock so that the boat or the barge is, can go to a lower level of the river. And I remember seeing a barge go into the lock and the lock closed and then the water in the lock starts to come up. That's a massive amount of water. But the thing about that bathtub when I was five years old or the swimming pool that I swam in as a swim team member or that lock on the Illinois River is they all filled up. We're talking huge amounts of water in those latter two cases but they eventually fill and Solomon says every river on earth flows to the sea but it never fills. For millennia 150,000 rivers flow to the sea and is not full so all of this the sun the wind the streams they bear witness to repetition to perpetual cycles all around us you've even got a three-dimensional aspect to this to this scientific observation that Solomon is making because the sun and the wind and the streams are sort of levels. You've got the sun out there in the cosmos, in the the heavens. You've got the wind that's around us in the air and then you've got the streams that are in the earth or on the earth. And then between the sun and the wind you've got east and west and north and south covered. In other words, everywhere you look Up, down, all around. What do you see? Weariness. One commentator said, These verses amplify verses 2 through 4 in terms of creation. Though a hubbub of activity, it is devoid of progress. There's no gain for man in his toil. Similarly, there's no gain for creation in her toil. The observation that Charles Bridges made was constant movement combined with constant sameness. So Solomon observes that things go on ad infinitum, without end. And then he concludes, or at least the text portion that we're looking at this evening concludes in verse 8 with one more aspect of ad infinitum, things that go on, things that aren't filled, things that aren't satisfied. Look with me at verse 8 one more time. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. Now, again, if the the assumptions I made with you uh, last time are, are correct about Solomon having written Proverbs earlier in life and Ecclesiastes later in life. Solomon made an observation, uh, and I I borrowed his words uh, back in Proverbs 30, verses 15 and 16, and I think they relate to what we're looking at here in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Proverbs 30, beginning in the second half of verse 15, it says, three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. So that's an observation from earlier in life made by Solomon in his wisdom. Now remember, in Psalm 19, David took note of the circuit of the sun. He speaks of it in a somewhat different spirit, I think, though. He describes the sun as coming forth like a bridegroom out of his chamber. He describes the sun as being like a strong man who rejoices to run a race. And his response to all that is to give praise to God. His response is to praise God for his faithfulness that indeed the sun rises each morning. We get a, what seems to be a different spirit here with Kohelet, The preacher, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes 1, he looks at the sun running its race day after day, and what does he see? He sees weariness. Weariness that's so profound you can't even speak it. It defies description. Generation after generation dies off and goes to the grave, and yet like the sea, the grave is never full. The abode of the dead never says, oh, I've got enough down here. Don't send any more." The sun keeps running. The wind keeps blowing. But there's no apparent gain from it. And the text makes two final ob- observations about this. And now it brings it home to man. Not so much the created order, as man himself. It says, the eye is not satisfied with the seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. We've got these eyes in our heads. God designed them for seeing. And yet, you get to personify our eyes in a, in, a, in a way, our eyes aren't satisfied to see. They're not content. And if you doubt that, consider, there are an estimated 800 million videos on YouTube. Why do we need that many videos? Because the eye isn't satisfied with seeing. Nor is the ear filled with hearing. Uh, and that word filled, I think, is, is uh, it's very colorful. The idea being the ear is kind of like the sea. The rivers all run to the sea, but the sea's not full. You hear and listen ears not filled, not filled from hearing. And so there are 100 million tracks on Spotify, over 100 million tracks. And I did a little math here. Um, If in a lifetime of 80 years you could listen to Spotify all day and all night for 80 consecutive years, you could listen to about 14 million tracks. It would take you almost six lifetimes to listen to all the tracks on Spotify right now. But we always wanna hear something new, don't we? And turning our attention to the eyes and to the ears brings our attention to the real issue. It brings the real issue into view, and that is man's discontent. creation is personified in this text, right? Like the sun is running a circuit. Um, the sea is personified as being something that's not full, not satisfied. But, you know, the, the sun doesn't truly suffer from any dissatisfaction. If if the sun uh, had desires, I think the sun would rejoice to be doing exactly what God created it to do. The same with the wind, same with the seas, and the and the and the and the streams those things don't suffer from dissatisfaction but man certainly does so again quoting charles bridges he said men seek they find and yet they toil again no nearer the prize than at the beginning Seeing and hearing bring no permanent satisfaction. Men cry for more and more of this world, but when it comes, it does not satisfy. Benjamin Shaw speaks of our innate dissatisfaction with what we have. And we all are afflicted with that to some degree or another. And it just reminds us, as we started to see last week, the things of this world will always leave us unfilled. Your soul will never say enough if you're trying to fill it with the world's things. And as I continue to wrestle with and study Ecclesiastes, there are times when it it very... Strongly comes across as as pessimistic, as cynical, but I'm not convinced that that's really the message of Ecclesiastes. And as we continue to explore it together, I hope we're going to see something more than that, something better than that. But having considered the fact that generations come and generations go and everything around us does exhibit some very clear Repetition and cycles that are put in place by God. Let us not forget that. And there's this tendency even for ourselves never to say enough, never to be content. Let me just close with a few points of application. The first is this. You and I can come to see routine and things that are repetitive as testimony to the faithfulness of God depending on how we read it and with what spirit we interpret uh, even these verses that we've looked at this evening Solomon appears to loathe the monotony of repetition in nature but isn't it God's sheer kindness that causes the sun to rise every morning imagine that it didn't Isn't it God's sheer kindness that summer and winter, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, day and night, don't cease? The water cycle is maintained so that the ground is replenished. The world's systems carry on. It's God's mercy. It's a blessing. It's a repetition that we can rejoice in. Again, quoting Dr. Benjamin Shaw. He said, The earth remains, but it is not because the earth is somehow self-sustaining. Instead, God keeps the earth going. In the context of Genesis 8, the promise is that the earth, the stage on which the drama of redemption is played out, will remain until the final line of the last scene of the last act is uttered. Men are not permanent. For generations come and go, but neither is the earth permanent. It remains as long as those generations of men cycle through to the appointed end of the drama. It's God's providence, it's God's will, it's God's mercy. Praise God for his preserving and sustaining of his creation. Secondly, satisfaction can only be found in Christ. Christ. That was the main point of what we looked at last week, and I think this is a point that's going to continue to emerge from Ecclesiastes. Satisfaction can only be found in Christ. The text says the eye is not satisfied with seeing, and it never will be satisfied with seeing until and unless it's looking unto Jesus. The ear is never filled with hearing, and it never will be filled with hearing. You think of the people at the Areopagus to whom Paul spoke, and it says they used to spend their time in nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Had to be something new, can't be the same old stuff, and that's what we want all the time. We want something new. But our ears will never be filled with hearing except by hearing the voice of Christ. God has blessed us with many good gifts in life to enjoy in this world, many good gifts but none of them was ever meant to fulfill us. And then finally, this passage opened with the observation that generations go, generations come, and I mentioned that genealogical document at the start. If anything, it's a reminder to us to teach the rising generations to love and serve the Lord Jesus. We're reminded in scripture that a generation goes, another generation comes. And you and I, just as scripture has told us, we may be like a flower of the field, swept away by the wind, and when it's gone, its place remembers us no more. But our great concern is to make sure that the coming generation knows the Lord, to teach our children Teach them to teach their children to the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. Ad infinitum, to the end of the age, to make disciples. That should be our burden. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is a sameness, there is a repetitiveness to things around us, all around us that we see in this world. Lord, let us rejoice in your providence, in your sustaining of all the things that Your hands have made. Let us glorify You for Your faithfulness, for Your steadfastness. What would we do without it? We would be undone. Lord God, we give glory to You. We thank You for Your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, train us. Help us day by day to look unto Him, to keep our eyes fixed on Him so that our eyes will be satisfied with seeing as they gaze upon the Lord. Lord, train us to hear His Word, to hear it, to learn it, to obey it, so that our ears will be filled by hearing His voice. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn, as I already mentioned, is hymn number 30. Please turn to...